Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 94 to Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. I'm amazed we haven't covered this in the past, because we've both been reasonably recently. Gee, not for me. It's been quite a while I haven't been to. Uh, I'll tell the story at the end when we reach the airport. Of course, it's an airport very much known for security, Oof, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Wow. I don't even know how to describe it. I'll have to think about that as we go along. But uh, I had pretty contrasting experiences. I've only been there twice, and... It was an interesting experience in both instances. <laughs> the the reason, obviously, Alex uh, went just last weekend is because layovers had an entry to the Eurovision. Yeah, Alex was uh, singing, and we we're very disappointed in you guys because you didn't vote enough for him nope. and he didn't win. Didn't the win. Netherlands kind thing. of humiliating, actually, guys. So, <laughs> but actually, I tell you what, I don't really know much about Eurovision other than sort of same the yeah. periphery. The, the noise you hear around it, but I was staying in a hotel that was hosting a lot of the talent, I guess is the word, and yep. crew and all of that, and it was right on the beach there. The atmosphere was cool. It was like going to the World Cup. Everybody was having a good time, and there was sort of, you know, calm patriotism from all over Europe and, and well, beyond, I suppose. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. Yeah, because Australia is part of Europe in the Eurovision, as Yeah, I've never know. understood what, what <laughs> qualifies one to be in your, I mean, your Eurovision. Me neither. And I've watched the end because I'd finished my night early on Saturday, and... I'm so confused with the new point system. It used to be like old men in very cheap suits and very bad ties and combo overs saying 12 points. And now you have like public voting and suddenly like 625 points for a team. And I'm like, what? Uh, anyway, so, but still, we're very disappointed that Alex didn't win because he's a singing talent. Yeah, I was pretty disappointed myself. <laughs> so maybe you drown your sorrows in the first bit of news for this show. Betsy is back. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is such good news. Whenever I go to the Terminal 3 Cathay Lounge at Heathrow, I'm always kind of, no matter what time of day it is, I go and look for it. Even though I'm I'm not drinking it at the moment, I have a bottle of it preserved on my bookshelf. <laughs> but from what I gather, they have appointed a new head of brand about 18 months ago who has yep. done a complete overhaul of the brand. And this is after the corporate identity and livery changes, which which happened a couple of years ago. They've done this new advertising campaign called Move Beyond. Yeah, there's no life well-traveled anymore. It's no. Move Beyond, which I'm not sure yet about, to be frankly honest with you. It took a couple of, of goes for me to watch some of the videos they've put out, and I, it's, it's really growing on me. I think it's a very clever, scalable campaign. And the most important thing is, as a result of this, they've realized how successful Betsy is slash was as a brand extension and are bringing it back. Yeah, it was actually buried in one of their press releases. They didn't make a lot of fuss because it's actually not yet back, I think. They are making a new and improved version of it. Of course, named after the, the first uh, Douglas DC-3. Uh, I think the first one was released in 2017. So guys, you have to go back to a few episodes back then. 
than to actually find it. Yeah, and other improvements. We'll talk about uh, Cathay Pacific later, about what you mentioned a bit later in the show. But I'm very happy that Betsy is back. And let's see if it's a better or worse beer than the first one we tried. Yeah, I hope they don't tinker with it too much because it really was very good. Maybe they're going to address your slight criticism of it, which was it's delicious in the air, not as good on the ground. I don't know how they can make it perfect in both places, but maybe that's what they've been tinkering with. Another thing that was uh, not even beer-it, but not even announced by an airline about beer, and sorry guys, because we're starting with beer again in this show, is BA. BA not only released the Speedbird 100, which we've talked about last week, but thanks to Joe Allen, who sent you a picture, uh, Alex, we know that BrewDog, the company behind the Speedbird 100, has also released a special beer for first class on British Airways, something aircraft, I Aircraft, think? yeah, that's exactly what it's called. Which is bottled, so it's not in a can, and <laughs> as soon as we talked about it, one of our most loyal listeners, Sunil at Glue Code, took the challenge and actually flew <laughs> literally a few hours after we mentioned it on first class with BA just to try the beer, sent us a picture back. He really liked it. He even said that the cabin crew were unaware of this beer. So thanks to you, you and me, Alex, for actually pointing it out. The crew had to kind of look really? behind the crates and stuff. Actually, you know what? After he said that, I went on Flyer Talk and apparently he's not alone because a lot of people said, you have to insist that this beer exists because probably because it's the earlier rollout, some of the crews are still unaware that it actually does exist. Wow, <laughs> that's actually pretty surprising. Yeah, and apparently... Because I went on the BrewDog website, they mentioned in their own press release this beer, it's an IPA, but it doesn't seem, because they don't say, but it doesn't seem to be made especially for flying. So Speedbird 100 was made in that Dreamlander that flew over Scotland. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I, I learned since then that they, they couldn't bring barrels, so they used coffee machines and kettles stuff that is available of course on a dreamliner i don't know how i see alex is reacting like with eyebrows (laughs) yes there's a small video that brewdog released about how they did that but that's for the speedbird 100 whom glucode said he wasn't a fan of actually we had matt graham on facebook telling us that he actually liked the beer very much and much more than he thought he would. It was quite tasty. So it's a divisive beer, apparently. Yeah, but that's apparently what... it's a sour style beer, which I oh. actually rather like. And I think actually they're smart because it's one of those things where you're going to taste something a little bit more at altitude. You'll get a bite. So we'll see. Well, I think, do you have any opportunities to fly in the ultra pointy end of VA anytime soon? <laughs> no. I mean, I'm surely going to find one. Maybe since crews are unaware of it, maybe if you're in business class, you insist a little bit. Maybe you'd be able to get. So that's a challenge for all of you guys listening to us. Try to get that first class beer, the aircraft. Mm-hmm. It's a very limited run. It's a sub-brand of BrewDog that does it. But anyway, so there you go. BA has two beers. One last uh, tidbit that was really fun that was obviously not mentioned into any press release, but I found uh, since, is that during that flight over Scotland to brew that uh, Speedbird 100, 
<laughs> two and a half hours before landing, all the toilets clogged up, which was the first in the pilot's career. No way. <laughs> Were they throwing beers into toilets? I yeah, all of the whatever dregs or anything that comes out from the process. How awful. At least it wasn't an <laughs> ultra long flight. Yes, exactly. And also, I need to correct what I said about the availability of this beer. It's available in Brewdog bars, I believe. There's not that many, but it's especially available if you're flying BA in the lounge at GFK, the new one that just opened. Oh, in I will be there 7. in 10 days. There you go. So you might even have the first class beer there. That is not set, but you should try it. Yeah, I will look for it. And if you're an employee of BA, I mentioned that any executive club card member would have a discount for all BrewDog merchandises in BrewDog bars. If you are a BA employee, you get double that discount. Pretty nice. It's pretty solid. And not to forget about Chris Radcliffe, whom you had on your latest Mastication Nation yeah. about whiskey. <laughs> Great Lightning. episode, by the way. You should listen to it, guys. Well, BA is also not brewing, but is also distilling a whiskey. They're really going for this, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the only issue with that one is uh, because of the time it takes to actually do this, it will be served in 2031. Ah. <laughs> We have, we have like, which episode will be will be at about that time? <laughs> oh my god, I don't even want to think about it. No, me neither. They started the process on. I didn't know that even existed. On World Whiskey Day on May the eighteenth, with a distiller called Inchterney. I'm sure I'm messing this name up because I don't have any Scottish way to say it. Twelve years, of course, to mature it, so that's why it's 2031. But and again, if you are in the same New York lounge, but in the first class section, you'll have uh, some uh, whiskey tasting there. And there will be just, just 12 casks being offered to customers wow. flying first between now and the end of September. And each cask will have its own unique taste profile. Chris, Chris Radcliffe, you know where you have to go. Yeah, there you go. Because I... I, I want someone like Chris to try it because I wouldn't appreciate it. Yeah. I wouldn't know I if it was good or if it was bad or, or or anything like that. Yeah, I don't have the right taste buds for that either. I just yeah. don't. Yeah, I don't really know yeah. how it all works. I do know more <laughs> thanks to the education that Chris gave us. Yeah, that's a very cool episode, actually, that you, you put out. Guys, you really have to listen to it if you have any inkling to try any whiskey. And I think you simply on Twitter, ask Chris, because he's also probably very willing to tell you, if you want to start on a journey to whiskey, what to start with. Yeah. Since we are all over Scotland with both whiskey and that Speedbird 100 flight, a correction again, and thanks to Justin Rhodes on Facebook, when I was talking about these very short flights that happened in Scotland in the last episode, I, I think I mentioned seven minutes but there's a flight and that's the one i had in mind actually but justin is more precise than me that only lasts for 80 seconds what <laughs> uh, oh, also... yeah, i think i heard about that uh, i think someone did an airliner's trip report and it was very short yeah i was about to say the youtube video must be a minute and a half <laughs> and here's the seat oh we landed uh, yeah <laughs> no, no time to to taste a lot of whiskey in that flight you're not gonna get drunk that's for sure <laughs> 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 and for shame, although I said in the last episode that Alex was the worst passenger ever for loving Diet Coke yeah. in flights, and although you're going to fly JetBlue, well, JetBlue is switching to Pepsi. Oh, well, I, you know what? It's, it's so bad that I actually thought when they did that, 
I thought, I wonder if I can get my money back. <laughs> uh, it, I, I, I can't imagine what the economics of, of a decision like that look like. I'm sure that they're pretty robust. Yeah, and it's part of the bigger scheme. Is it uh, some cost cutting, but they're uh, removing the single serving water bottles and we'll have big bottles and they'll serve you like in a glass. So maybe it's a little bit of cost cutting. Maybe they all had a better deal with Pepsi, but like you, I'm not a Diet Coke person, but if I have to choose between Coke and Pepsi, I'm a Coke guy. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people are. This definitely seems like a cost uh, thing and not a appealing to the masses thing. <laughs> well, we'll see now if we if we actually have Pepsi fans, we'll start to lash over I'm us sure after we, we say will. that. <laughs> but you're wrong. I'm just going to tell you now. <laughs> and actually, you have a fan, James Simpson at J2Simso on Twitter. What are you talking about? That Coke is the best that you can have in flight because the extra fees means that the cabin crew will have to give you the full can instead of parts of it. <laughs> That's actually a good point. That's a good point. I, I always get a little bit disappointed when you don't get the whole can anyway. It seems a little bit uh, cheap. And I also don't really like these very tiny cans. No, give me I don't a proper, like either. Yeah, give me a proper can. I, I, you know? I appreciate it when airlines give you two of those and just say... You know, you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, because it's too much fizz anyway. So, Alex, just pour it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alex, uh, because you are a Brit and I am not, how would you describe Nando's? Uh, I am one of the few people in this country that absolutely hates Nando's. <laughs> yeah, but what is it? For Nando's know, is a South African Portuguese grilled chicken joint that is such a part of this country's culture that it has its own kind of ultra meme in a cheeky Nando's. Which, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan. I think it's expensive and not very good, but it is part of the zeitgeist here. The first week I moved to London back uh, more than seven years ago, almost eight years ago now, that's the first thing I did the first week because everybody was talking about Nando's. I had to try. And yeah, I mean, it's okay, but it's fast food chicken or something. I mean, but... If you like uh, Nando's, Jet 2, which is a low cost in the UK, will offer Nando's in flight. I saw that. And for me, I was like, well, there's just another reason to fly Jet 2, who don't have the best reputation in the world. Nah. <laughs> but I've always been fascinated by these, uh, again, by these brand extensions, because, of course, in Japan, I think both major carriers at some point have served KFC. Uh, yes. And can you imagine how amazing that would smell? <laughs> the whole plane smell like KFC would be the greatest thing in the world. One has to have lived in Japan to understand how KFC is part of the zeitgeist and the culture in Japan. Yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely insane, guys. You, you really have to. But I've never flown Jet 2. Will that make me fly Jet 2? I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, Amit Shah, I think on Facebook. Hi, Paul and Alex. Loves listening to the podcast. Thank you. He just had landed to Nairobi, traveling with BA. And he was very surprised that they served pizza as an afternoon snack an hour before landing. Yeah, they do have these kind of pizza flatbread things that uh, you often get. I wonder if that's a Dreamliner route, because I seem to get those a lot when I'm on a Dreamliner. And they're fine. They're fine. They're, they're actually the kind of thing that you want. You don't want another big heavy meal. I, I don't think this is my, my preference. They're not actually that bad at all. Okay, I've never tried. He was flying, I think, premium economy. So have you had that in business yourself? I, I don't think I've had it. In, I've only ever had it in economy and premium economy. Okay, because I've never flew premium economy with a BA. Um, still talking about food. We're not Mastication Nation. Again, guys, you have to listen to the other fantastic show of Alex to actually learn about food. But since we started with foods and drinks, Matteo Penzo, a good 
good friend who travels like a madman. I think he does like more than 200 flights a year, based in Milan. Uses a lot Starlines, a lot uh, Lufthansa in Turkish. He was the one actually who sent us one of the first pictures of the new Turkish lounge in the new Istanbul airport. He was at uh, Stuttgart airport uh, last week. He wanted some food and went into a restaurant called Top Air, which is landside. It's a Michelin star restaurant, and I've looked into it. It's the only one Michelin star restaurant in the world that is located in an airport. Well, that I'll challenge because I think there is one in Hong Kong airport. Aha! Hung's Delicacies, uh, Ah Hung's Delicacies in Hong Kong has a Michelin star, but it's like an extension of their main branch. So maybe that doesn't count. I don't know. But still, I mean, I haven't been. Next time I'm in Hong Kong, I'll need to mark that down and try it. Yeah, it's, out it's, loud. It's good. <laughs> Stuttgart Airport is fantastic. I've never been. It has the hugest observation area that's basically the entire roof of one of the terminals. In the summer, wow. it's fantastic. And much like they have in Haneda, there's like, like a, a, an aviation-themed gift shop. There's a museum. There's all of these old airplanes that you can crawl around in up there. And then, of course, you've got the Porsche Museum and the Mercedes Museum, if that's your jam, which are like 20 minutes away on the on the very good public transport system. Oh, I've only done the BMW Museum, which is next to BMW, which is obviously Munich. It's not... Oh, wow. Well, that's a good reason for me to go. I'm not a car person, but... I love these old media. The BMW one is striking, actually. It's very, very good. Google has been revamping completely its Google Flights thing. It's becoming like this huge trip thing. Now you have uh, holidays, you have trips, you have everything in there. It's not only flights. Sadly, they don't tell you yet, will you have a Speedbird 100 in your flight? Or will you have a one mission star restaurant in your airport? They should, actually, because I think it would be a great idea for people like us to say, oh, I would actually do a layover there because of these little things that I wouldn't know about otherwise. But have you seen how how it's changed? It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it is. I don't want them to get too far away from what their core purpose is, because there are some features in Google Flights that I think are are lacking. But the thing that always gets me about Google Flights is just the pure speed. The speed, yeah. This is always where I start all my searches, because by the time I search on Skyscanner, Kayak, or anything else, I've done 25 searches Mm -hmm. on Google. Exactly. (laughs) It's insane. So the thing that is very interesting is that you can also now start the same type of searches directly on Google Maps, and could actually be looking for something in Google Maps, extend that, oh, I want to be there, to I want a flight, to I want a hotel. It's becoming really interesting play by Google. Yeah, the whole ecosystem for travel in the loosest sense of the word is is really coming together nicely. Even the thing that where it takes, this might make some people uncomfortable, where it looks in your Gmail for flight yeah. and hotel bookings, adds it to calendar, adds it to Google Maps, trips, yeah. trips, all of that stuff, which you know, I think is more useful than Sinister. I agree. But it's turning into a very powerful suite of tools. The only thing I don't like about the new layout of uh, Google Maps is just because I'm not used to it yet, is that it used to have a tab called Explore, which allowed you to explore destinations and to see the price of these destinations. Now that same thing, Explore, is to explore cities. If you want to find flight prices, like say, I want to go to Asia between June the 5th and June the 10th, you have to look a little bit down on the flights page. It's not more the Explore tab. It's a different tab. I'm just going to get used to it. But now Explore is literally 
explore what to do in a city. Yeah. Which, by the way, is much better if you simply watch a Natasha video. <laughs> well, that's kind of you. But I, yeah, that took some getting used to, but uh, now I actually rather like it. The other player that is not a player yet, but could be one, is Amazon. Amazon has just launched a domestic flights search and booking in India with uh, ClearTrip. So they, mm, there's not their own search yet, at least. They had, I think, a few years ago, started hotels, but that was a disaster and they stopped it. And in India, the very potent thing that I would love to have as well in this country is they offer cashback. So if you book via Amazon, you get cashbacks up to, I think, $50 or something. And you, you get that in your Amazon Pay balance, obviously. So, you know, Amazon Pay then can, of course, entice you to buy more stuff on Amazon. But I mean, it's an interesting trip. And Amazon also broke ground on its um, $1.5 billion airport development near uh, Cincinnati Airport. A lot of the, the headlines were misleading because they were saying Amazon is building an airport. Yeah, well, of course, they're building a cargo airport, but it's literally next to Cincinnati Northern Kentucky International Airport, which means they're using their runways, but they have land to become the next UPS or, or FedEx. Yeah, they're really going large on this with the, what do they call it, Prime Air or Amazon yeah. Air? Uh, Prime Air, I, I think, think it's yeah. Bri branded as Prime Air. Yeah, that's that's growing. There's been some of the earliest customers of the 737-800 BCF, which is the cargo-only version. I think, and I may be making this up if anybody knows, that some of them are being either built under license or at least converted or finished in China. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, maybe if, if anybody knows, let me know. But I think that that's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting thing. But they are building out this network so that they can own the entire supply chain for their delivery system, which is makes sense, I guess. Do you think we'll see that in Europe one day? Uh, yeah, I'm sure we will. I'm sure too. I would love to track some flights of Prime Air over my head. Still in technology, we had a little bit of feedback about the IFE. You know, should airlines remove them or not? Vinay Vasuki at Vasuki V on Twitter says, On IFE, at least in the US, in-flight Wi-Fi quality is poor, not enough bandwidth, and not all seats have power. And that's true. That's very important if you want to be able to watch stuff. If you don't have power and you run out of it, it's a bit bad. So on long flights, in-seat IFE would be superior to streaming. And I get it. Mm. It makes sense. I read and somewhere recently that, was it American maybe? Or somebody is actually adding them back. Exactly. But thank you. That's my next piece of oh, news, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You, he's reading my mind. So good, Alex. <laughs> yeah, American Airlines actually decided to putting them back. Absolutely. Especially since they had ripped them off, like, what, a year ago or something? So they say they made some customer studies and passengers prefer IFE over watching stuff on their phone or tablet, even if there's a place to put their phones or tablets on the seat, you know, some now new seats have some holder and etc. They also, of course, complain about power outlets and families. That's interesting. Families with several children often don't have enough devices for everyone. So for families, it's good to have a screen for each kid. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I can support that. And they've also simply realized that on flights where they had both, streaming Wi-Fi and IFE, most passengers simply choose the IFE, which is in front of them. Yeah, I can see how you would gravitate towards that. Although... On my recent flights, I just put the map on the screen and I opened up my iPad and yeah, used, yeah, used yeah. my own content. But that, you know, if there was anything compelling, I would probably would have watched it. And I think Delta is uh, still also committed to keep the... Are you flying Delta again or not? I don't remember. I don't remember. Yes, yes, I am, <laughs> but not... Uh, I, I am. I'm flying them from 
San Francisco to Detroit and then Detroit to Amsterdam. So Delta is committed on the IFE screens. So, well, you know, it's a thing. This debate will still happen in 2031 when we'll be talking about the BA whiskey. Uh, <laughs> Office Wayfinder, who agrees about uh, the IFE, by the way, says that he prefers to have IFE, replied about your old Transcon story, which airline should you be flying? I mean, you now have decided, although this uh, Pepsi versus Coke makes you right. having second thoughts. But <laughs> he says, I'm honestly not surprised to hear people say JetBlue or Delta above American Airlines and United, there's just a much higher level, both hard and soft product, of services. He caveats by saying, unless you're on Delta's 767s, in which Delta One hard product isn't great. He tells you to avoid that is possible. He does a lot of travel, both personal and for work. For work, he's obligated to fly the government-contracted carrier. I think he's an airman for the Air Force, if I remember correctly. And of course, that makes him try a lot of different airlines. And Delta, he says, is hands down the superior product. But in fact, he's flying uh, to the Caribbean for vacation on AA in a mix of domestic first and flagship business class on their 777-300. And he feels pretty meh adding into it. See? <laughs> so you pretty much like AA yourself, right? Yeah, um, I have quite a few legs coming up with them in the next six to seven weeks. Short haul, long haul. And so I will report back and see if my opinion has changed. You're also flying through Detroit at some point. Yeah, and that's going to be picking up their 350. And I'm very interested to see what that's like. Because he says, Detroit is my favorite airport in the US, feels more like an Asian airport than anywhere else in the US. But be aware that's only if you're flying Sky Team, which you will because you're flying Delta. And he's offering to tell you which of the lounges are the best. So whenever you fly there, we'll reach out to you if it's Wayfinder so Alex yeah, can yeah. choose the best lounge to stop if you have time to actually I do sure a layover there. Dan Tan Dan, another loyal listener from Australia, said that uh, <laughs> to have a contrasting experience, Delta in air is the most middle-of-the-road mediocre experience, but their ground staff have almost always universally been wonderful to me. I think there's no, like, absolute rule there. Yeah, I think, and I think we've, we've touched on this before, that everybody has their loyalty to their church, and I think that will slightly skew some opinions for better or worse. And Delta, and I hope you're going to be able to try that, Alex, uh, Delta is rolling out full free Wi-Fi on 55 domestic flights, I think, this week. This is a pilot to see how it works. And if it works, they're going to roll out full free Wi-Fi on all their flights. No more charges for Wi-Fi. That's pretty aggressive. I know that uh, Emirates do that for their business class passengers, but I, I that's going to be very interesting to see if it just brings down the whole... I'm sure that's why they're doing this yeah. test, but to see if it brings down the whole experience experience or whether bandwidth is now cheap enough and available enough where this is going to work well. Note they do that over the US. So probably in the US they have backup systems. I'm not sure that Emirates always has backup systems in the middle of the Indian Sea, for instance, I, right? Yeah. So JetBlue offers free Wi-Fi? Yeah. United. So United is keeping up with this um, newfound tradition of having multiple different types of livery. Of course, they announced their new livery. They have the Star Wars livery. And now they have two special liveries that will be featured on 757s to 100. They were made by two women. Have you seen them? Pictures of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm sorry. I don't think they're there yet. They're pretty nice, actually. They're very reminiscent of, especially the first one, which is palm trees, etc. It's a bit reminiscent of the eighth 
A-T-A-N-A. Actually, it's pretty cute. I like it. Yeah. And again, I, I, I'm a fan of the new the new livery. I think what they're doing is neat. I've sat with it for a while. I think it's cool. And these are just great little extensions of that. This was uh, to feature women artists because they realized that women artists are almost never uh, featured. United also, and I'm sure everybody's seen that, including you, has uh, released its new safety video, Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> Did you like it? Uh, it's a little corny for my taste. It's a little bit on the nose. Mm-hmm. A little bit, right? But two cool things within that video. First, there's a lot of United employees that are, are featured. These are not actors, including people sitting at some point in the movie theater. And in that movie theater, the people sat watching the safety video are United uh, frequent flyers that bid their way to appear on the safety video. That's quite cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty nice. I'm pretty sure they limited that to very high yeah. mileage people, but that's pretty cool to have yeah. allowed people to do this. And they've also released the um, a mini ticket, a Spider-Man mini ticket. It's cute. It's not luxurious by any means. And within it, I would say that the two things that are a bit fun, because the rest is pretty run-of-the-mill, are the socks, obviously, like the costume of Spider-Man, mm. and the eye mask, which is clearly the eyes of Spider-Man. I would like to have that. So They're I would pretty like good to at f- these, aren't they? Because they did the 747 one, which you so kindly got me. As oh, well, yeah, the themed have. ones, are, they, they do good work. Yeah, see, one episode will criticize United, one episode will praise United, one episode will criticize United. Fair and balanced. <laughs> oh, God, that's Fox News, isn't it? Uh, also, have you ever flown Avianca? I have not, but Attaché has. If you fly, you on, Avi- Attaché you, if you fly on Avianca, you will be able to watch Attaché on their IFE. <laughs> So, good news for you, Alex, because maybe you'll be soon featured on United because uh, United could be buying Avianca. Actually, what happened is that Avianca was in a dire situation, especially their, I think, Brazilian operations that is completely going down the rail. They got a loan from United to survive and to have money. And because they're having now difficulties of paying back that loan, there's a clause in the contract that could basically give the shares, have a buyback system where United would become a shareholder, basically by default become the owner of Avianca. (laughs) Wow. Suddenly, uh, United would be in South America. Yeah, it's an interesting situation in South America. The market, I can never understand who's doing well and who's not doing well. (laughs) Or who's Azul good seem- and who's not good. Azul seems to be doing quite well because they are bidding on that uh, Avianca Brazil I just mentioned. Who created Azul? Was it the same guy then? Yeah, Jeff Blue, David Neilman. So they seem to be doing well. And the other one that is doing well, uh, do you know Viva Air? I do not know Viva Air. We're effectively the Ryanair of Latin America. And it was created by one of the founders of Ryanair. Oh, uh, interesting. And they have two airlines. They're the same name, but one is based in Colombia. One is based in Peru. And now they're uh, mulling a third one. They say maybe Ecuador or anywhere in Central America. So it seems that seems to be very successful. And the, the founder adds that the middle class in Latin America are moving every day. 
the middle class is huge and we're seeing more and more people hopping on our planes. And yeah, that's pretty much the story for Ryanair. I'm sure that they will be successful. That sounds very similar to China as well, where this is yeah. growing and, and increasingly mobile middle class as well. It seems that in Latin America, all these airlines, even what's the, the, the big one we keep talking about? Um, LATAM? LATAM, yeah. They have a single branding, but they're multiple airlines situated in multiple countries due to the fact probably that these markets are heavily segmented and protected. Yeah. So, well, EasyJet does the same thing, don't they? And I think there's a few others that, that do that. They have AOCs in multiple countries just to make their lives a little bit easier, but all flying under the same brand. EasyJet Switzerland has even a different IATA code name. Easy is the one here in the UK or U2? Well, yeah, exactly. One of them is the Swiss branch and one of them is the UK branch, right. if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, they do that as well. It's true. But it's particularly potent in Latin America. You always hear, oh, there's Avianca, Avianca Brazil, or there's Latam, but there's Latam Peru, right? They like uh, they seem to be very separated with a single branding. Iberia, have you flown Iberia lately? No. They've introduced, I think it's only on the iPhone, I'm not sure it's on Android, they've introduced scan your own carry-on bag, and they use the AR technology of your phone, because the latest iPhones have that, and I'm sure the latest Androids as well. You move around your carry-on. No way. And it tells you if it fits or not. Cool. If it's with it, yeah. I mean, it's easy when it's a carry-on, because it's a square. So basically, you know the regulation. When it's a backpack or a big back, you know that is a bit like, around, yeah. it can actually measure and will tell you, okay, this is acceptable in the cabin or not. Because the new iPhone X and iOS 12 have this measurement app, yeah. dedicated measurement app that is yeah. extraordinarily cool use of AR. I think if, if AR is your world, then I'm, I'm sure it's a very pedestrian application of AR too. But for, yeah. for people like me, it's mind-blowing. So I can see this is, this is clever, but uh, it'll be interesting to see if it's more than a gimmick. But I like the fact that it automatically matches the regulation. Of course, you have to have the app from Iberia, whatever, but I like the ID. You know what? Maybe simply the crew at the gate should have something like that and just said, okay, uh, we'll just measure it now together. Oh, yep. well, it fits. Oh, no, sorry, it doesn't. And then there's no arguing anymore. Not like these, you know, very weird metal thing, you know, and people are trying to push it yeah, down. I was just going to say, you see some pretty amazing... <laughs> Amazing feats of strength to get those. those <laughs> and the wheels, do they stuck out or not? And it's always the argument, but they're just the wheels. Yeah, but the wheels need to be inside and like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, the TW Hotel will have any restrictions on luggage. I guess not. It opened, as we had said, the 15th of May. Uh, by the way, I should have said that in the start. We're recording today, the 21st of May 2019. It's a Tuesday. Note, however, that this episode won't be out until the weekend, so the usual caveat goes. So back to the TW Hotel, it opened, and apparently there was quite a little bit of hiccups. Uh, they were not ready, the pool was not ready, some of the stuff was not ready, but we had some pictures of the rooms, and all the rooms faced the freaking apron. This is so cool. Yeah, it, it is cool. It looks great. I actually almost had a chance to stay there. No I way! Was, yeah, I was looking at going through... It doesn't matter. It didn't work out. But I had a good poke around the website, and it does look like they've done a really good job. And yes, teething problems, but come on, you know, yeah, give them yeah, a break, given what, what it is and where it is and where it came from. It's great. I know that uh, 
if you follow Jason Rabinowitz at Airline mm-hmm. Flyer, I think he is on Twitter, he stayed there and called out some of the issues that you mentioned, but also said that that all in all, it was a just a great experience. A great thing, however, that will actually entice me to stay in one of the rooms is that obviously you can do like the usual overnights, but you can also book for four hours. Uh, you can have you have slots seven to eleven a.m., uh, eight a.m. to eight p.m., ten a.m. to four p.m., twelve p.m. to six p.m. So you can have some dedicated smaller windows, especially good if you're on a layover, or especially good if you're an AV geek like Alex and I, and basically you just want to stay to being able to stay, but then you still want to go to New York. Worth every penny. <laughs> Worth everything. <laughs> I ask you about Nando's. How would you describe Taco Bell? <laughs> oh, God. Guilty pleasure? The ultimate drunk food? It's not Mexican. It's it's fast food. Is it Tex-Mex? Tex-Mex. I mean, even that's being generous. Yeah. But it's sort of got this weird soft spot in the American psyche. No one goes, well, this is Mexican food. And I don't even think anybody <laughs> says, this is good food. It's just one of those things that you're like, oh, you know, I've had a a couple of beers and now I need, you know, (laughs) a crunch wrap supreme or whatever. Well, Taco Bell is opening a resort hotel in Powell Springs. What? No, they're not. (laughs) Yeah, they are. (laughs) It's going to be open on August 9th. I think that requires us to do a stop in Palm Springs to actually see what what it's all about. Because the Taco Bell Hotel, I mean, really? I mean, I love it. How is that going to (laughs) work? Alex, it's not good for your diet. No. <laughs> Since we mentioned last time in the US that there was this helicopter service from GFK to Hudson Yards, there's another helicopter service that is really cool that most people with a lot of money or very show offy have taken is the one from Nice to Monaco. I have done that a few times. I don't have a lot of money, but somebody else is paying for it, so I wasn't going to say no. Well, BA could be paying for it because if you are uh, flying to Monaco as a holiday destination with BA, they will offer you the helicopter transfer for free. I think that would be wonderful. If you've taken that that road from Nice Airport to Cannes. Oh my God. Or Monaco. It is a one lane road and it's bloody awful. Yeah, it is. Worth every penny. First, you have to stay in Monaco, which by definition, all the hotels there are expensive and it's only for a limited number of hotels, including I think the Fairmont, which I often stay at in other cities. But I mean, to offer the free helicopter ride, that's a treat. I have no plans to go to Monaco, but I would clearly look into this. No, it's very cool. Very cool. For me, Nice was more the... Because I'm not as uh, fancy as Alex. I was not going to Monaco. I was going to Sofia Antipolis, which is a tech center back in my startup days. And uh, I would drive with an easy rent-a-car. I would have like oh, a small yeah, yeah. class A Mercedes and trying to fight on that road to go on the bowels of startup world in the end of the 90s. I think Amadeus is actually located there in uh, Sofia Antipolis. Um, one person that might not take the helicopter, uh, this is not really a piece of news, but uh, just, I don't know, is Willie Walsh, the chief exec of IAG, uh, the parent company of BA, because he just informed the stock market that he did a big sale of 3.5 million pounds of stock, and all the analysts were like, oh, does he know about something bad happening to BA? No, he's simply getting a divorce. Ah, well, that's never good news. <laughs> yeah, no, but his wife, at least now, is good news for her. She's going to own parts of IAG and thus BA. I need to talk to her. Maybe she can upgrade me and stuff. I don't know. (laughs) An airline that is usually faring well, and I'm using faring as a pun here, is Ryanair. 
Ryanair has just announced its profits. They're down by almost 30%, mm. which is not great. Usually, we don't really cover these type of earnings, etc. The reason I mention it is, if you go back in January... Michael O'Leary had a warning about these potential losses coming up. <laughs> and he said, I'm not kidding, it's uh, because the airfares are too low. And you're like, isn't that ironic? <laughs> right there telling you, the lower than expected airfares. Yeah, well, that... fares are too cheap. That's maybe your problem. Yeah, I was going to say, whole... you, you have complete control over that. <laughs> but also, that's the whole point of flying Ryanair. Yeah. It's very ironic. Um, we're going to do a little bit of an uh, update on the 737 MAX because we haven't talked on purpose about it. We're not going to go too long. But first, I didn't know something, probably because you have a very storied family in the business. You might know this story. I didn't know that when Southwest was created, the founder basically gave a handshake to the CEO of Boeing and the promise was that never ever any airline would get a 737 cheaper than Southwest. Southwest would always get the best price. Do you know that? I did not know that. But given the amount that they have, I can understand how they can enforce that deal. That's amazing. And it's just a handshake. I don't think any contract was ever drafted is like this forever promise. I mean, they Whatever. have nearly 800 of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's insane. I, you know, but I love, it's almost like this past that doesn't exist anymore. No, you would have like an MOU and 200 pages contracts. Mm -hmm. But a handshake was sufficient to have this made forever. It's a different era. Let's not go into all the details of what happened in the past month with that Max. The Max is still not in the air. Apparently, the software update of the MCAS is ready. They are submitting it to the FAA. The FAA is asking to get more details, wants to do more investigation. It won't be at least three to four months before it gets approved, at least in the US, and thus it starts uh, flying. Would be amazed if we see it flying by the end of the summer. I don't think so either. I, I, I mean, I, I, which is which is a shame, and it's no it's no good for anybody. But I just I think that there are a lot of involved parties who, quite rightly, are putting a lot of pressure to make sure that this is not just a patch, but a a proper fix that they're going to deploy. So, on a general level, it feels like you know after any crash, but after any problem with a company, the role of the company is to regain trust, right? And in that case, Boeing regaining trust, you know, from the pilots, from the FAA, from the public, the flying public. And it seems they haven't done such a great job about it because they were always half-baked. They went, they're sorry for the two crashes, but they're defending the airplane. We learn a lot of things. For instance, I don't know, when they transitioned from the 737 new generation to the MAX, they altered the labeling and the purpose of the switches that we kept talking about when we're talking about the 737, but they didn't tell anyone when Southwest said, but hey, you didn't tell us. They didn't say, oh, sorry, they went into like this very strange stuff of excuses. We learned as well that the 737 MAX flight simulator was not behaving like an actual plane. They didn't apologize for that. So they're presenting this mixed bag that doesn't really help for the flying public to regain trust, but also the pilots. And the pilots seem to be, when you read all the announcements by the Airline Association of uh, Pilots, APA, whatever the, the exact name is, they say, come on, fix it. Come on, Boeing needs to stop dodging responsibility. Okay, they need to actually get shit done, basically. And it feels to me that Boeing could have done a better job it seems to be a bit half-baked. Yeah, it, it does. And I think that they've they tried to downplay yeah. the, the severity of the issue. And that obviously didn't work. I think actually made it worse. 
And now they are, as you say, using this quite strange language, which is only making the situation worse and, and, and dragging the whole thing out. So I, I'm excited for it to get back safely in the air, but I don't want it to be in the air any sooner than it needs to be, you know, safely. And talking about Southwest, like you said, their biggest customer, you know, 800 planes, that disagree light we mentioned that they had and it was an option for others, you know, if the two AOA were giving different signals. Well, it wasn't activated. Southwest had to realize it was not activated, ask Boeing why the hell it wasn't activated themselves. And you don't want to treat your best customer like yeah. that. You know, that's Pretty where bad, isn't it? They, they're really off-putting Southwest, the pilots, the public is still unsure about what's going on. I know they're going to go through this and the 737 MAX will fly and it's going to prove to be a success. But the way they're doing it is really not that great, I find. The pilot union chief also talked about the FAA and I love what he said. He said, I want them to be invasive. I want them to be aggressive. I want them to be obstinate. And that's probably what's been lacking. And suddenly probably the FAA, because they also need to prove to the public that they are solid, will actually make uh, Boeing's life a bit more difficult than in the past, probably. Yeah. And I think it's given a scrutiny to other platforms and products that they, they do as well. But it, I, it doesn't seem to be deterring people from ordering those airplanes. Yeah, there's been no Single order, I think, in the month of last month, April. Not, not, yeah, I think, I mean, for other airplanes. If no orders, no money comes in, but it, I mean, it will get resolved. On the specificity of the accidents, there's been many things, but one thing was quite uh, interesting where a US-based uh, 737 MAX crew that tried to mimic the Flight 302, and they were unable to basically save the aircraft. And the pilot who did that test said, I don't think the situation would have been survivable at 350 knots and below 5,000 feet. There was one little known procedure that could have made a regain control possible, but it's not documented. It's an old procedure. The pilots were not aware of this because they're not part of the training material anymore. Well, no way. So there you go. This is why I think Boeing should have make it better to try to, you know, regain trust and not play like these games of PR communications that, that don't lead anywhere. Well, exactly. The Air Current, I know you're a big reader of that, had a very good article about how the feeling is within Boeing. It's not so hot around here. <laughs> well, I guess. And uh, they all are very angry at the fractured trust and the actions of others uh, that especially designed the, the MCAS. And there's also this story of a lot of the employees being a little bit angry and disappointed at the fact that, you know, when Boeing says we're recommitting all our resources to have great aircrafts, what they actually did within the factories, they played a video and that video said, oh, if you see something, say something. And a lot of the people say, this is not how you change the culture. No, it was that just a video. kind of half-assed. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Fly Dubai said that uh, it lost a lot of profitability because they don't have these uh, planes. They had to stop 40 aircrafts from flying. Ethiopians say they might never fly a 737 again. Uh, yeah, exactly. GE, the engine manufacturer, issued a warning on its uh, financial results and its earning because, of course, it makes the engine. They're not sending any. There's a lot of domino effect. Yeah, absolutely. And add on top of this the trade war with china that is gearing up and that could be not only for the 737 max but all boeing aircrafts by the way airbus just sold what 290 airbuses when uh, xi the president of china went to paris wow. i think uh, 320s and 350s for 30 billion euros man that's a lot of money, a lot uh, of money. i'm not saying here that 
Boeing will fare bad. I'm saying they are in a bind that they need to go out of. Yeah, and it's going to take years to repair the reputational damage. And I'm very surprised that somebody hasn't done a reasonably structured sentiment, public sentiment analysis of this, or maybe the public doesn't really know or care. Well, yeah, maybe they don't know. Yeah. I don't want to be condescending, but uh, plus, you know, if you just read the news, you're like, uh, you aren't sure what to believe in. No, well, exactly. A funny domino effect from this is that... Air Canada is also lacking uh, the 737 MAX and needs to reshuffle a bit of its fleet. And so they've just done a wet lease with uh, Qatar Airways, mm. but for 330s. Uh, so they're reshuffling the fleet, as I said. The, the funny bit here for me, the irony is that Air Canada is a partner of United, which is anti-Qatar in the open skies rift. So suddenly you'll see Qatar Airways flying an alliance partner of United, which is really funny. It is funny. And it's <laughs> one of those things where when the chips are down, you know what you're going to do. You know, it just becomes <laughs> actions speak louder than words. <laughs> Man, and uh, the other, and then we'll move on, but the other, of course, strategy was the, the Aeroflot 1492. Man, that video, the bounces. Horrendous. Yeah, you sent it to me, and I, I just, it was kind of excruciating to watch. How many times did it bounce? It's, I don't know. It's hard to see. It's, it's several. Yeah, because you remember, we thought it bounced once. Once. the video we yeah. had. But then you can see on this video... And you guys, you can look it up if you're really interested. It's a bit dire to watch, but it's you can see it. First one, it bounces a little bit. The second one bounces a little bit, at least four times. And the last one is the big one you mentioned last time, like 60 feet, and then it starts uh, burning. Did you hear the report's initial data readout from the flight data recorder regarding the Gs? No. It's really distressing to read. So it went. the first bounce was 2.55 Gs, and this is on, on the passenger's. And then 5.85 Gs on the second bounce. And then plus 5 Gs, which is on the third bounce. And people are saying that, you know, if you're just in a normal seat, you're not going to be able to walk after that. Knocked out or something, right? Yeah, or your back would be broken. I mean, I've experienced 5 Gs in, uh, 5 plus Gs in aerobatics, which is different because it's a gradual... You know, it's a quick gradual, but it is gradual increase of of, of Gs. This was a bang. And, you know, I'm sure that people that didn't make it out didn't make it out because of that, sadly. So the more we learn about this, the more awful it sounds. Oh, wow. Justin Rose, whom I mentioned earlier, sent us a few interesting tidbits. Remember, we talked about the capacity of fuel dumping of the SSJ-100. And you said, rightly so, that other aircraft in the same don't have this ability either and justin tells us yeah because if the max landing weight is close to the max takeoff weight regulations don't require to have a fuel dump capacity there's a Uh, there's a whole article actually send me the the link of course on on wikipedia as well and fuel dumping is very interesting Uh, so the spread between the two not being big you don't require to to have that that's really interesting aeroflot has cancelled all its 50 sukhoi superjet flights so they're all grounded, basically. Yamal Airline, which is another airline in Russia, has uh, canceled its order of uh, purchase of the SSJ. And there's a big rumors now that the program, the Sukhoi program and Irkut, you remember, guys, we mentioned the Irkut, the MC-21 a few episodes ago. They want to merge these two because they kind of say that Sukhoi could be dead after this. So let's put all the resources into a single program into have instead of having two. Jeez. And uh, one last about this, because I found that really... Uh, 
you know, we saw people taking the luggages on their way out. They shouldn't, but they did. And this this passenger who was spotted taking his luggage on their way out, maybe a Prada bag, as you said, uh, Alex, in the press episode. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, that was a little glib of me. I shouldn't have said that. Minutes after the crash, he requested reimbursement of his flight. What? Minutes after the crash. Oh, well, then he can kiss my ass. Exactly. Sorry for the language, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of sociopath uh, do you have to be to do that? Oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. So let's um, move on to first my flight. I just went to Amsterdam, be a short haul flight. First, uh, <laughs> I had delays on both ends. The pilot came when we were waiting on the tarmac to fly to Amsterdam. It's a very short flight, guys. We've got a little bit of delay because Amsterdam Tower is switching from paper to digital today, replacing those little strips with computers like we have done here for the past five, six years, here being Ethro. And on the way back, uh, I got even a text from uh, BA. We wanted to inform you that due to an ATC upgrade at Amsterdam Ski Pole, we are experiencing slot delays. And I thought this was done for a long time. I didn't realize that massive airports like Amsterdam were still using paper. Yeah, I think San Francisco does too, as well. I, I would not want to be part of or even in charge of a transition like that. Can you <laughs> imagine? I'm sure they're duplicating, you know, they're still doing the paper while working on the digital as well to see everything matches. So they have to train at the same time. It was quite something, man. Yeah. The pilot also had a very fun comment. Uh, it was really funny on the way there. We were in a 321 Neo. It was probably two months old. <laughs> he said just before running the safety video, I said, um, this is a brand new aircraft, which was probably designed by an accountant. <laughs> He's probably right. <laughs> Tell me how you feel about the aircraft, Mr. Pilot. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the same one after we arrived at the gate in Amsterdam, because as you know, guys, and as Alex knows even better than me, the taxi time in... <laughs> In Amsterdam is forever. Mm -hmm. You're landing in Belgium and then you're arriving in Amsterdam. Um, the pilot told me, he was just out of the door, he says, I always feel I'm a train driver here. <laughs> wow, you had a stand-up comedian. <laughs> it was really good. One thing in Amsterdam, where was your last time you've been there? Oh, um, Recently, about right? six weeks ago. Did you see all the WeChat things? No. There was like huge... WeChat Pay signs everywhere, like massive ones. Really? They say it's one of the first WeChat Pay smart flagship airport in Europe. What, what does People that mean? can pre-order stuff on WeChat, pick up an airport and leave for Chinese customers. This is super wow. smart for attracting Chinese. Yeah, but especially it given that it's everywhere. A, such a transitional airport. Have you had six weeks ago the new security? I'm not sure. Oh, where you don't have to take your stuff out of your bag. Yeah, nothing. So cool. Yeah, I mean, literally, she stops me explaining me. And the first thought in my head is like, oh, come on, you don't need to explain me. You know, I'm going to be polite and I'm going to say that. Like, I'm a freaking flyer, you know, like this entitled self that I can be in my head. I'm not going to say it. And then she says, oh, by the way, you don't have to take anything out of the bag. No computer, no liquids, nothing. You just put it and leave. And I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. that is very, very, very cool. And then everything else is also automated. You know, the passport is automated, everything. It's a fantastic efficient airport oh, really they're so good by the way starting today i think yesterday ether they've expanded the e-gates 
to other nationalities. If you're American, Japanese, etc., you can start using yes, the passport. Yes, I saw it last night. Which passport were you using? The British uh, I've one. I've always met British when I'm coming in here. But yes, yes. there's a, quite a long... I think it's about 10 countries now that can use it. Which is good news for them, less for us, because I hope they also upgrade the number of people actually dealing with these gates, mm. because we don't want to queue, obviously. Uh, at Ithra, actually, I had seen uh, the first time... I don't know if you've seen any. I've seen one of the four... Vintage liveries of BA. Yes, I saw the BOAC one landing when I was taxiing out the other day. No way. So good. I really want to see the BEA one, though. That's the I one have that not I, seen that one. Yeah, me neither. But going back to security, Rico, Rico Weider, whom you've met yeah. uh, in, in Zurich, was in Munich a few days ago. I just went through security in Munich, and I am speechless. They are testing a new system for which you pretty much can leave everything in your bag, just put it on the belt, walk through the scanner. It took me literally one minute. It's, it's so good, isn't it? I almost wonder, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes, where... When something becomes too easy, <laughs> you lose faith in its efficacy. Like there needs to be a little bit of a hassle to make the theater of it seem the like theater. it's effective. You remind me about a story I had read probably two years ago that on Facebook, when you do a search for a name or your search for something, you will have, you know, the usual little thing that makes you think that the computer is thinking. Right. And they could deliver some of the results, especially the security results, much faster. But they realize that if they are too fast, people think that it's not safe. So they make you believe that the computer is thinking, which makes you think that it's secure, and then you actually believe that it's secure. And that's exactly what you're saying here. If you were just to walk through, you'll say, oh, is that actually secure? So yeah. a little bit of friction actually works on a psychological level. It's fascinating. It is. It is. I, I think that that's really interesting. And I wonder if we're going to get into that with airport security. So I flew a, a 320, and on the 320, Qatar Airways is ditching all of the 320s, all of the 390s, and all their uh, 321s. They bought the 321 Neos, and they don't want any other narrow body than this anymore. It must be a good place to be to being able to say, I'm going to ditch all of this and buy new aircraft. <laughs> well, I'm also, when, when they make announcements like that, I'm always fascinated by the ownership structure. Do they lease? Do they buy and lease back? Because being able to be so, you know, cavalier about yeah, decisions <laughs> like that makes me wonder, you know, what's at stake? But I'm a fan of Al Baker for what he said here. I'm quoting. I'm probably sure you're going to be a fan as well. If I could, I would throw them away. These planes are not efficient at all, talking about the 340. Yes, uh, I don't think anybody <laughs> would. Uh, those planes always seem to end up in the hands of charter airlines and yeah. startups. And beca- I think because they're cheap, but then they're so inefficient and not brilliant from a passenger perspective. And they're ugly. Yeah. <laughs> they are inelegant, aren't they? Yeah, they're a bit, I don't know, uneven. I don't know. There's something that doesn't quite work on these on these aircraft. He's ditching also these and I think some 330s because they're getting, of course, 350s and Dreamliners. So that's great. A few of the 320s that are leaving Qatar Airways are going to Lauda Motion. And we have to acknowledge the passing of uh, Niki Lauda this morning. Well, yes. What an incredible guy he was. What a legend. Pioneer oh, in so many industries and a, and a tough and brave guy. I mean, the plaudits and the memories that have been coming out have been universally, you know, just putting them on this extraordinary level. It's, uh, mm. it's a big loss for a lot of people, a lot of industries. And we mentioned it a few episodes ago, 
when he had that crash. He had three airlines. I think the first one was what? Nikki, the second was Lauda, and the third one's Lauda Motion. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm wrong in the order, but they had a crash. Was it in Thailand or something? Yeah, the yeah, 767 okay. in 1991. And he went himself, you know, directly. There was this level of commitment that not a lot of CEOs have displayed always. Well, and, and he was the one that suggested what became yeah. the ultimate fix, which is this... Yeah, because he tried, he did a flight simulation to actually try to find what happened. Yeah, the physical lock, a mechanical thrust reverse, lock because it was an uncommanded thrust reverse deployment in flight, which of course would be catastrophic. And he was the one that really spearheaded its introduction and became an industry standard. So, you know, this is something that he wasn't just an armchair CEO. He was a pilot himself, as you say, and he had a vested interest in the safety of aviation at large. Yeah. And he's, he's a guy who basically gave a middle finger to death as well. So yeah. I will always admire him for that. Well, rest in peace. A little bit on Etihad, since uh, we keep talking about them. Air Serbia has leased parts of the slots of Etihad that came from Jet Airways. <laughs> and Air Serbia will fly to Belgrade with an Etihad wet lease. So if you fly Air Serbia to Belgrade, you'll be able to fly within an Etihad 320, which you flew, you flew a 321, Alex, to uh, Delhi. I flew a 321. The great thing if you guys fly Air Serbia is usually the 320 from Air Serbia is 174 seats. The one from Etihad is 136 seats. So you can feel there's more legroom even in economy. And of course, you have better chairs in front. So that's great news for people who fly in Eastern Europe. Yeah. That's cool. And uh, yeah, so let's go to what you hinted at at the beginning from a uh, life well traveled to move beyond. Uh, Cathay Pacific, as you say, is going through. Uh, rebrand exercise they are talking about a new business class experience what does that mean do you think yeah they've hint well they didn't even hint it they said we're releasing our new business class product i don't know because it's already a strong product yes it's very similar to a lot that are out there so but they say product they don't say seat it doesn't mean that a seat will change it could be the everything around it don't you think because they said clearly last year i think that there will be a new first class seat when they received the triple seven nine in two years, but I don't know if they actually talked about seat within. That's they say an products up, catch. They say products upgrade, so it could be the IFE, it could be the food, which they already had relaunched. You know, I mentioned in my recent flights that there's a new menu, uh, looks like a newspaper, and so I don't know. And like you. I'm like, this is a fantastic seat. Please don't F it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. I'll be very interested to hear what they reveal. And uh, next time you're at the pier, Alex, they've opened a yoga and meditation space called the Sanctuary. Uh, yeah, they've got one of these in San Francisco in Terminal 2. Do they? Yeah, it's been open for a while. I, I, I mean, I should probably start doing all that. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I really, my yeah. <laughs> my meditation is a good beer and uh, I'm bad at this. Or I'm very good because I don't really feel I need meditation. No, that's good. I'm very mindful on my own, I guess, to use all the buzzwords that the people use today. Um, San Francisco, I hope it was not in that space. I mean, it's, it's sad, but also bizarre. This person that 
was found dead 18 hours after he died in the San Francisco Cathay Pacific lounge. I did not hear about this. I mean, the poor guy had, a, I think, heart failure. He was, I think, in one of the showers, and it's only when the aircraft landed in Hong Kong, they realized that the guy never arrived. They called back San Francisco. Of course, he had never boarded, but he was checked in, so they looked for him, and they found him in one of the showers, I think, at San Francisco's um, lounge. He had been dead for, I think, I think 18 hours. Wow. Oh, that's Damn. terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Anyway, still talking about Cathay Pacific. <laughs> so they bought HG Express. But that story of the very weird 747s that nobody knows who owns them that are part of HK Express. But because you mentioned earlier, it would be nice to know how these holdings are made. This is HNA's shady, I'm going to use the term. I mean, what's going on here? That article was fascinating and it was really well written and clearly well investigated. The structure of all these holding companies and partnerships and all of this was analyzed and dissected and understood, but they still couldn't figure out who owned these 747s. <laughs> and they're, they're, not even, they're not even passenger. So HK Express is a passenger traffic airline, but these three 747s are cargo that, guys, the article is, it reads like a bad John Le Carré thriller because mm -hmm. it's like this rich Indian guy who has a gesture to h and holds a stake in HG Express and has bought one of the 747, which is held by one company and another company and another shell company. And they don't know who's the end owner of it. And HK Express is trying to unload, of course, these because, of course, Cathay Pacific doesn't want them. But the company that is supposed to buy the 3747 says, well, but you HNA, you've never paid us dues from an earlier deal. So we're not going to onboard these aircraft. So result, although Cathay Pacific is still buying HK Express, Cathay Pacific has not paid its first due to HNA saying, deal with this yeah. shit first and then we'll pay you. HNA must be in a really dire situation, man. What? Yeah, it's, it's getting more and more murky by the minute. And I think Cathay are wise to tread very carefully very with this. Because yeah. you don't want to accidentally acquire something <laughs> untoward. I love what you said. I'm going to accidentally acquire a 747. Yeah, well, exactly. It's <laughs> crazy that that could even be a possibility. I always thought these things only happen in maritime businesses. You know, when you have like these uh, flags from, you know, mm. countries in the middle of the Pacific and ships that you don't know who they belong to. But for aircraft, I never thought it was as murky. No, me neither. Well, now I know. <laughs> so Rick Wilson on Facebook to Hong Kong. Alex, he visited the Kaitak redevelopment when the old runway was. He walked the entire length of the old runway with his nephew and discovered there's a lovely aviation-themed park at the northeast end of it. Oh, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, an aviation-themed park. That's perfect for your kids, man. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I'm <laughs> probably going to be going to Hong Kong this summer, so I will go by myself. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you're going to go by yourself. <laughs> and you were right as we assessed three episodes two episodes and one episode ago Alex is always right <laughs> there was another entity called Zip he tells us that Air Canada used to have a discount airline called Zip in the early 2000s. That's which, what it was. And he sent us a few pictures of the color schemes delivery. It's a pretty fun. There's a very heavily colored. So that's there was a zip somewhere in time. A zip in time. <laughs> zip in time. 
I'm sure a theme park brings you smiles, Alex. So please, if you go in, uh, in, in aviation theme park, if you go in uh, July or in August, please update us about this theme park. Another thing that gives you smiles is miles. And the Turkish uh, program is called Miles and Smiles. So that's very appropriate for you, Alex. You were talking about trying other alliances. Yep. And United is part of it. Uh, currently, Turkish airline is status matching everything else so if you have the sky team elite if you have etihad guest gold if you have emirates skywars gold etc etc you can get turkish airlines miles and smiles gold they give it to you for four months and if you fly one turkish airlines international flight during that period they will extend it to one year. So that's a great way if you want to have Star Alliance status. Yeah, American Airlines do this as well. I'm actually going to try it. Uh, oh, you said last time, so you will try yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to try it. I'm not an expert on any of this by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm probably doing myself a little bit of a disservice here because I'm going to do it, but I don't know which flights I should list for BA and which flights I should list for American, and maybe doing it on a carrier on which I already have status at an alliance level is stupid, but we'll see. Doesn't that mean that if you split your one world miles, you might actually not reach out gold on BA because you're putting some on AA or? Uh, I think what will happen is I will just do the flights I need to hit the qualification target oh. for American. And then I, I get it for one year, about 18 months, actually, because of where the calendar falls for requalifications. And then it will be really interesting to try flying in the US and see how their upgrade stuff works and all of that. Yeah, I'll see. I'll let you guys know. I'm very interested as well, actually, uh, because he's daring. I'm still sticking with my old alliances. My God. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing Alex is known for, for our longtime listeners, you will remember, because I flew with Alex only once in my life, actually. I don't think we've flown more than no, once. It was once from, from Warsaw, Warsaw. Yeah, Warsaw. And we were sat together in the front and... I knew that about Alex, but then I actually experienced it. Alex is very keen on safety procedures, and he knows them very well. He listens thoroughly to them. And he even points, you know, the, the emergency exit, just in case that I'm going to burn and he's going to jump over me, obviously, yeah. because that's how a friend he is. Uh, <laughs> In uh, New Zealand, a uh, woman refused to watch the uh, safety video nor read the safety instruction, and she was in an emergency exit, was thrown off a plane. Uh, that's exactly what should happen. I fully agree. Look, I mean, the video started, the flight attendant is holding up the card for her to read, but she ignores it and starts reading a book. Then she starts speaking her phone, the flight attendant says, can you please watch the safety video because this is the exit row? And she puts, the passenger puts her fingers on her ears Ugh, and keeps child. looking at her a child, yeah. The pilot decided that was not acceptable, returned the plane back to the gate and the police was waiting for her and her companion who was also misbehaving. I mean, yeah, what? What? It's three minutes of your life. Yeah, you it's three minutes of I mean, your life that, you know, could save your life and a lot of other people's lives. And I, yeah, I'm a little bit anal about it. I always have a glance at the safety card, <laughs> yeah, mainly I to know. know how the doors work and also yeah. where the yeah. nearest exit is. Because, you know, if you need to get off quickly, then I don't want to have to, as you say, shove your stupid ass out of the way because you're fumbling <laughs> with a bag or your seatbelt or the door, you're going the wrong way, whatever, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know. So you, you flew 
the triple seven, but not only. You flew to Ben Gurion with Swiss. Yes. How was that? Tell us all about it. Yeah, really, really interesting. Actually, it was funny that you said that you were on an A three twenty one Neo to Amsterdam, which must have been months old. Both of my A321s with Swiss were at least 21 years old. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know looking at them inside or outside. They were they were fine. My flight was very early. It was 6 a.m. from oh, London wow. to Zurich. That's the one I always take. Favorite flight, actually. I stayed nearby. And, of course, when I got into the Terminal 2, which is such a good terminal, uh, isn't it? I love it. Nothing was open. Actually, there was one coffee shop was open. They opened at 5, five. Yep. I think. Yeah, right, yeah. So I had half an hour in the United Lounge, which we've talked about before. It's a very good lounge. It's very yep. comfortable. I was sat in 2F on the way okay. over there. So it's much like any other European carrier, much like BA, where the middle seat is blocked off and they give you breakfast, but it was still, you know, 10 past six in the morning. <laughs> Unfortunately, we sat there on the tarmac for 40 minutes before pushing back because there was flow control at Zurich due to... Ah, uh, wow. Actually, I don't remember what the reason was. And of course... They were really good at coming on saying, look, we know a lot of you have connections at Zurich, which I, of course, did. Mine was reasonably tight as well. We'll keep you up to date. They will take care of you on the ground. They will have all the information on the screens in flight 10 minutes before we land. So eventually we pushed back 40 minutes after we were supposed to. Taxi took off, flew, and it was getting tighter and tighter. And then, of course, as we get to Zurich, we're then stuck in a holding pattern because we were late. And <laughs> That's not very Swiss. You know, it, would, it wasn't very, very good Swiss. On time. <laughs> it wasn't very Swiss, but it <laughs> is what it is. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. If I was yeah. going to get bumped, there was a flight, another flight to Tel Aviv about seven or eight hours later. If I'm going to be stuck in an airport, Zurich is fine with me. Oh, yeah. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I ran. I, I sprinted as quickly as I can. A sprint from... Where D to we? E, I guess. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's right. And so you have to get on the train and you go through security. It was all fine. I, I sent you a message as we were pulling on to stand saying, this is a real test for Zurich. I have 23 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. 23 minutes. Plenty of time and plenty of time. But but you're flying to Israel. So that's the only thing I would have known. Yeah, there was, there was no, nothing different about it. You did have to go through this sort of transitional security to get to the gates. I was the last person to board, but they weren't paging me. We still sat on the ground for about 10 or 15 minutes after I got on. So you're right, 23 minutes, even with some running, was plenty of time. On the triple yeah. seven, which was I think about three years old, I had seven A, which was a which is my favorite seat. Every time I fly yep. the triple seven from Swiss, I fly seven A. Thrones, it's a throne seat, yeah, solo seat because it's important. Swiss, as in its business class, one is throne seat, one is double, one is solo, one yep. is duo. Like you need usually to pay extra to get the throne seat, even if you have gold status like mine. Yes, and your advice to me was <laughs> wait until the flight is full because then they you just pick a seat or wait until check-in. And I, I waited until about 36 hours before the flight, so before online check-in opened, but uh, I was yeah, because, free. Yeah, because since I don't think a lot of people are buying these, because you need to pay extra no matter your status, then obviously these are the only ones remaining at the end. And I was pretty sure you would be able to get it for free because then Swiss has no other choice but to give it to you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so, you are no, absolutely yeah, right. Works. It would have been 80 pounds otherwise, and I got it for nothing. And I was absolutely delighted because it's a great seat. 
Yeah. Really. Oh. So much storage. That was the thing that I, I kept, <laughs> you know, looking around going, oh, there's another cabinet here and another cabinet here. And it's not like, you know, the Iberia fake storage where it <laughs> yeah. looks big, but it's like two inches deep. No, these are like yeah. cavernous compartments all around the seat. And, uh, you know, you got a really reasonably decent screen in front of you. Very comfortable seat. I didn't actually extend it all the way to lie flat, but in a reclining position, it was one of the most comfortable business class seats I'd ever had. Yeah, I was impressed. The food was mediocre. It wasn't anything special. It wasn't terrible. The service was very efficient, not unfriendly, but not very, very friendly. The the Wi-Fi was (laughs) <laughs> yeah, tell me what's going on with the Wi-Fi. Yes, oh yes, you don't realize like, like when he, like I think on Friday, whatever he says, Paul, remember to ask me about the Wi-Fi. Like, what's going on with the Wi-Fi? The wi- so they have Wi-Fi uh, on the triple sevens, and I thought, you know, I'll I'll grab it just so I can keep in touch with my wife because my daughter was unwell, so she was keeping me posted with that. And I thought, okay, they have all these different packages for the, and you pay for the amount of megabytes, and it wasn't exactly cheap. I think I paid. 25 US dollars for 200 megabytes, then it's through Panasonic. Ouch. Yeah, it's yeah, a lot of it's money. It's not great. Yeah. And so, you know, I signed up and it's like, you're connected with 200 megabytes and it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> and I had background app refresh turned off. I had uh, all of that no turned way. off. I, I have no idea where it was going. And I was like, what the hell? And I'm mean, five minutes. Literally five minutes. Oh, my God. Uh, so I don't know wh- what was going on. And I, I did not do it on the way back because I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I was really impressed with, with that seat. And the IFE was, was pretty good. It's a good one because I've done long haul, like, you know, 11 hours from Hong Kong, for instance. It's a good one. It's not Emirates, but it's it's okay. I mean, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. It's, it's- and the, the, the food is... Probably also in the middle. I mean, it's not bad, but it's not great. Sometimes you have extra stuff when they do, because you've done the episodes in Zurich with Rico, who we mentioned earlier in this show, you have the the specialty, the veal specialty from Zurich. Sometimes they feature it. They have this thing where they feature a local cuisine from one of the states, Canton, it's called in Switzerland. But let's be honest, I'm Swiss, but let's be honest, Swiss cuisine is not the most well known in the world. There's some stuff that's really good, but so yeah, it's it's okay. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was fine. It was, it was, you know, and then having the, the chocolate at the end the chocolate. Come around, it was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a very comfortable product, a very Swiss design. Not ostentatious, not beautiful, but very well thought out. It will age well, I think. Yeah, I think so. That's the thing. The, the wood thing is actually uh, pretty. Did you did you try that uh, trying to get upgraded in first class? No, which they do I, not sell. I did not have any time to do that mm-hmm. to have a conversation with anybody. Nor did I on the way back either. The flight on the way back was completely full of Eurovision people. Um, <laughs> you were singing in the flight. They, well, you, they all were all still wearing their their, their outfits id oh, no. badges of you know very oh. very very full of pride so yeah it was sorry yeah. to interrupt because i want to mention that for those who will ever fly so on especially in this route but there's a few others they put the wide bodies how long is zurich to tel aviv like four hours three and yeah just under four hours yeah so because they have load they have the 330s the 340s and the triple sevens on that route they all 
three classes. I don't think Swiss has a premium economy yet. I don't remember anyway. Um, But they do not sell the first class. If you are on the 330 and 340 in Zurich, and that's your best luck, but also probably on the way back to Zurich, you can ask to be in the first class cabin. It will cost you around, I think, 200 to $300. The only caveat is that you will only be seated there, but the entire service will be the same as business class. You'll have simply the people from business class coming up to you, serving you the same food, etc. So it's not an exact first class experience, but at least it's a very cheap way to being able to get first class. By the way, you don't have the miles of first class either. You will only, that's why not, you will have access to the Han first class lounge in Zurich. They don't say that, however, for the 777, because it's a newly introduced plane on that route. So I was telling Alex, maybe, but he didn't have time. Maybe if you ask them kindly, they will, because the cabin is there, but it's not filled. Usually, of course, you have a crew on a rotation that stay there. But guys, if you ever fly these type of routes, ask at ticketing in the airport, at check-in at the airport, or at the gate at the airport, especially in Zurich. If you're on a 330, 340, I know you can, but maybe try your luck on 777. That's a little tip. If you want to fly uh, Swiss first for cheap. That's the way to do it. Because it looks like a great seat. <laughs> Even if you're not getting the full first experience, that seat's probably worth the price of admission alone. Before we go to the airport, anything on the way back? Did you have time to experience a lounge in Zurich or something? I, so I, I I didn't get a throne seat on the way back. I had the, the duo. duo. Window, How was that, by window the way? Seat, it was, again, it was fine. It was very cozy, but in a good way. Much less storage, of course, because you don't have all that real estate. But while you are sitting next to somebody, it's still a very private seat because of the okay. way that the where the tray table is stored which is sort of over your left shoulder almost in this, oh, yeah, in this divider yeah. you know with this this compartment which acts as a divider so yeah it was good uh, definitely obviously not as good as the throne seat and then i had about 45 minutes in the D gates area, which was completely dead. As I sent you, it's always, <laughs> it's always dead. Uh, I love it. And then I, I was on an empty A321. I had the whole road to myself on the way home at night and it was fine. Landed at an empty terminal two in Heathrow. The late night flights are like that. Terminal two is really actually busy, but the D gates at Zurich are built above or under, under the B gates. So they are for non-Schengen flights, but not for long haul, which Alex flew from the E gates in Zurich, which for me are my favorite. The advantage is that since they do not fly to a lot of countries who are not Schengen short haul, that means it's basically only for London. <laughs> yeah. You often end up having a Empty terminal and an empty lounge. And you have some cool views from that lounge. It's not yeah, too it was bad. cool. And, and and you had a Feldschlossen as well. Yeah. The beer. Yeah, I really appreciated that. They had a non-alcoholic beer in the lounge. And there's not many airports that I've been to that have that. So thank a pretty you, good one. Swiss or uh, the Swiss <laughs> Airport Authority or whoever does it. I That was cool. And because we have to mention it, the amenity kit. The amenity kit on the way over was bog standard you know, cloth pouch with the with the basics in it. On the way back, it was a metal co-branded Victorinox box. I love it. Which had the same bits and pieces in it, but it was really beautifully put together. And the box alone, I think, is going to be a, a keepsake on my <laughs> desk. So yeah. yeah, I have two actually on my desk in front of me. One is the 331 is the 777 with the introduced 777. These are really nifty boxes. They look like, for context, if you don't want to Google it, it look like a, a box where you put some pens. Yeah. But very nice, really nicely done. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we go to the airport, one thing just about Swiss, because it's an interesting tie-up here. 
So you know, guys, that Swiss is part of the Lufthansa group. They are buying 777-900s who are coming next year with a new business class as for Lufthansa. One thing I didn't realize that is very interesting is that Lufthansa group has decided that from now on, all the aircraft, because they're buying the aircraft for Austrian, for Swiss, uh, for Lufthansa, they decided that all the aircraft will have common interiors. I'm not sure if that means common seats, but they will buy the same interiors and then decide who gets what. Of course, the paint job will be, you know, Swiss or Austrian. So... It could be that we'll see a newer type of seat for Swiss if they go the way of Lufthansa and new business classes, because Swiss will retire its 340s and replace by 350-900s and Dreamliners and, of course, the 777 So it's interesting to see that we might have like a commonality here. Yeah. Uh, in it all makes the, sense, all the though, doesn't it? It does. A lot, a lot of sense. So to Ben Gorion, to... Tel Aviv Airport, as some people used to call Jerusalem Airport, and like, no, it's like 10 minutes from Tel Aviv and super far from Jerusalem. How did you find that? How was your experience there? Yeah, I I had been there once before, and I wasn't prepared for what you have to endure to get in and out of that country. So I braced myself this time for grilling going in and grilling especially going out. But I must have arrived at a slower time of day because I went straight up to someone who looked about 12 <laughs> They all do. Immigration <laughs> officers, security, they all, they're all kids. And I know it's tied to their national service or whatever they do there, but they asked me why I was there. And I told them I was giving a speech and produced a letter from my hosts. And they said, okay, stamp my passport. And I went in. That's never been the issue coming. Oh, so they stamp your passport. They do not stamp your passport. They give you oh, a card. A card. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Uh, to yeah. come in. Because that's new. In the past, you had to almost insist for them to put that on a separate page that you would keep within your passport. Yep. No, and they it will sometimes thrown upon. Yeah, they take the card at the end, which uh, was was an interesting kind of tidbit in, a, in and of itself. But then when I came back to the airport, I had to check a bag in, and I was queuing, and the the security person was coming down saying to everybody a couple of cursory questions, and then she said, "Why were you here?" I said, "I was giving a speech," and she kind of raised an eyebrow and said, "Come with me." And I was like, oh, God, because last time I left, left the country, it took an hour of questioning. Why were you here? Who did you talk to? And then all of my travel history within the Middle East and the purpose of those and who I was with and all that stuff. But this was, why were you here? Giving a speech, produce a letter. Do you have another passport? Yes. Where have you been in the Middle East? I went to Dubai. Why did you go there? Same deal. Okay, bye. Okay, that was pretty straightforward all of, then. All of maybe three, four minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. And then going through security, feel any more thorough than any other airport I've been to recently, except having to take all of the cables out of the bag, which I've experienced at Frankfurt. Frankfurt, exactly. Yeah. And then you go through outbound immigration, but that's now a machine. Okay. Which, which oh, anybody wow. can use. Yeah. You just pop your passport in, takes your picture. It prints out a card. Do you then exit it by scanning the card that it just printed out? I don't fully understand that process, but that took you know, 30 seconds. Uh, wow. So yeah, that, it, it's definitely less uh, invasive. Aggressive. Maybe I was lucky. Maybe I looked yeah. less threatening than I did five years ago. Yeah. Well, you do look less threatening than five years ago. I knew Alex five years ago and he looked like much That's more threatening than now. Now he's a, he's a nice kid doing nice travel at the shape video so i mean <laughs> that makes him very um inoffensive <laughs> but yeah because for me 
I'll tell you the story that's back in the day. I was flying to a wedding in Jerusalem. We're talking 2000. Obviously, 2000 was also the Jubilee for Christians. So, you know, they had, all the Christians wanted to go there. It was Passover, so basically Easter for the Jewish community. So all this at the same time. I was living in Geneva back then, and they were telling me, oh, you should come to the airport three hours prior. And if you've ever flown to Israel, you know that, uh, especially El Al has its dedicated terminal, dedicated gate, because they have extra security measures. And, you know, because I'm Swiss, I was like, oh, they tell me three hours, I went three hours. I literally had two hours of interview. I had my luggage get into special machines that probably are nowadays very common. But back then, you know, we're talking pre-9-11, right? So yeah. I remember the lady in front of me had her hair dryer literally being unscrewed and opened up in front of me, uh-huh. stuff like that. And I was like oh my god okay i was younger and i looked probably also more threatening back then right i had hair and a beard or something i don't uh-huh. know and then i remember my friends my jewish friends would tell me hey paul you know what they say three hours but don't go three hours of course they have nothing else to do but to interview people so they will actually make your life harder if you're the first one to show up obviously they gotta take two hours i'm like oh damn it i will know that for next time i don't know if that still applies but to talk about ben Gurion itself maybe it's, it's changed you'll tell me if there's a check when you enter the airport area with a car, they actually look. Do they do not look with oh, a mirror yes, or something? Oh yes, when you when you enter the parking, the area basically. Yeah, from, the, I was in a in a taxi and yeah, they, they do look right. Yeah, they they. Well, I mean, it was just a. I mean, we didn't even really stop. We just rolled through what's like a, a bridge toll thing, and then the guy. Had they have uh, these uh, detectors, you know, like like they they can sense if you have explosives, yes. etc. Yeah, there's another unusual security terminal entrance. There's basically plainclothes officer from probably from the Mossad everywhere, anyway. Mm-hmm. So you can be pulled out for question at any time during the process, before checking in, after checking in, before security, after security, before boarding, uh, even when you are in the plane out, etc. It could be. It used to be that they changed because they had a lot of criticism. You used to be that uh, experience that they would give you a color code on your checked baggage and depending on that color basically was a threat level so oh, that's and interesting. back then there was a security before check-in and if you were in certain color you would actually go through the x-ray and you would bypass the x-ray and go directly to check-in something like that you know it's a whole you know we're talking 2000 guys my memory is not that great but i, I know they've revamped this now it's more more streamlined like you seem to have experience the thing is back then in 2000 after the wedding, I took a car with friends and we did a whole tour of Israel, went up to the north. We arrived at the border of Lebanon. Of course, we were rebuffed clearly. <clears throat> it was not a good idea. Went to the Golan Heights. We got lost, almost entering into Gaza, uh, into the army actually stopped us and said, guys, do you have weapons? And, you know, like we looked at each other and said, no, of course not. We don't have weapons. And then the army answered, well, if you don't have weapons, you cannot go further. And like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> that was not wow. the answer I was expecting. We did a tour in Jerusalem. What a city, man. What a city. It's one of the most incredible sites I ever did. The old city of Jerusalem. As a Greek as well, had uh, special tours because when I was on the Orthodox uh, side of the old town, I met some priests there, took them in Greek. They allowed me to go into some back alleys and back doors to visit some stuff. Went also to Jerusalem East and to Palestine. Went to Hebron, we went to Bethlehem and Nazareth. (laughs) I hired this guy to visit the place where Jesus was supposedly born, and we went via the the exit instead of the entrance to to Uh cut the time we would have had to wait. 
yeah, I'm always a bit sneaky like that. Also got, uh, it was the premise of the Intifada, the second Intifada. Got experience to almost be shot at. I mean, this is a story for another podcast. Uh, still here. <laughs> Went down to Eilat, uh, crossed uh, without the car, obviously, by foot to Aqaba, which is on the Jordan side, also on the Red Sea. Both are resorts. I was able uh, to see uh, King Abdullah II of Jordan and uh, Rania on their yacht, just right in front. They said hi to us. It was quite something. <laughs> Went up to Petra. What an incredible thing. Wadiram as well. Actually, uh, the driver uh, we hired was the driver of Val Kilmer. He had shot there uh, a movie, Mars something, because the, the color of the sand of the desert of Wadiram is, is red. But Petra, Petra, man, it was at a time when it was not as touristy as it is today. Uh, I have the best memories of, of that part. Jordan is really wonderful. Then I crossed back to, to Israel. It was this whole question at the border whether or not uh, she needed to stamp uh, our passports and I had to deploy all my charm for her not to do so <laughs> because they were used to not stamp uh, the passport at Ben-Gurion, but uh, these type of borders were different. I mean, which when we arrived back at Ben-Gurion, we had separate flights. I one of us different flights than my three other friends. Well, they took us in four and they starting asking us questions for almost an hour and a half. But the interesting bit is that they were starting a line of questioning and then they were switching the officers and trying actually to see if we had inconsistencies within our stories. And I will always remember a friend who was, because he was like that, he was always making up shit. I'm sorry, there's no other way. And he, because he wanted, he wanted out. He wanted like, I want to go to my flight. Mm. But that was not consistent with the three other stories. So we get held up even longer. At some point, my friend Blaise, hi Blaise, if you're listening, turned his back because he was overhearing that other friend making shit up. It was like, will you stop? We're trying to get out of the country now. So it was this old predicament. I mean, all throughout, I will say that, and that was going there and going out. The officers were really always very polite, never yes. raised their hand, they never raised their voices. Really, it's it's very professional. You never feel threatened. You never feel, it sometimes happens in other immigration in the world when, you know, like you feel like you're a, a criminal. You never feel that. They just go into line of question to line of question to make sure you have a story. They had, I think, was it, I think in, in the 90s or whatever, they had a a woman, this very well-known story that tried to enter the flight in Heathrow to go into Tel Aviv on Elal, and she had explosives in her luggage. I don't know the entire story, but I think she was unaware that there was explosives. She was pregnant five months and her boyfriend had put these explosives. And that's why they went into further asking questions to see all your context, especially if you fly Elal, obviously. Quite a big security thing, but it, it seems to be working because yeah, you don't it was, have a... It's an interesting experience and having, going in there expecting it this time, perhaps I was... You know, I was expecting hours and got minutes, but I think if you're not expecting it, it can be quite intimidating process to go through. Uh, I, it's not my favorite airport in the world from a passenger experience perspective. Yeah. Uh, there's the lounges it, it, are mediocre. Does it look a bit newer? Because not really. I, because when I landed the first time in Manila Airport Terminal One, I was like, oh, because of the same marble colors. Like, oh, it looks like Ben Gurion in the past. It was a bit dark and not really welcoming yeah that's mm. it's yeah and it's all the stores are kind of a ripoff and yeah it, it's not my favorite airport in the world but you do see some interesting airplanes there and some interesting airlines and 
For me, what was so interesting about sitting on the beach one afternoon between commitments was this plane roaring over my head. Uh-oh. And I'm like, what the hell is happening? You sent me a video, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an E-190. And I was like, where the hell is that going? Because it should be like 4,000 feet by now if it's over the beach. And I learned that there is another airport in Tel Aviv. Yep. Yeah, Zvot, uh, what's the name again? Yeah, something like that. I don't even know how you pronounce it. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> and it's a... Zdedov, something yeah, like that. S-D-E space V-O-D. Yeah. I guess V-O-D, Vod is a, is a yeah, pioneer like in, yeah. um, in Israeli aviation. It's a domestic airport served by three airlines. It's closing this year, which is yep. kind of a bummer. It's going to be turned into yep. a luxury apartment which just pisses me <laughs> off. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that was kind of cool. And, and then also there's another, where I was speaking, there's a little municipal recreational airport. So it was neat to see people going in and out of there as well. But oh wow, great place to learn how to fly, I think, because yeah. the weather's so good. Actually, it's very close to Cyprus. And I know that SDV, because I'm going to mispronounce the small airport in Tel Aviv, I think that was one of the only international flight they used to have. It was to go to Cyprus because a lot of the people initially first when there was times of uh, crisis the people would actually hide or escape to cyprus from time to time but also simply some people go to cyprus to get married uh, because i think if they want to do mixed religion or non-religious marriages you, you cannot do that or something like that i don't remember maybe some jewish friends will correct us but so yeah it's sad there's a new, a new airport that is being built next to um, elat which is that resort on the red sea i just told you about it's going to be international because otherwise i think besides TLV, there's no other international airports. But would I do a layover in TLV? I'm not sure first you can actually yeah. do a layover. <laughs> I don't think you can. And I think just if, if you wanted to go into the city and eat some of the wonderful food there, then it would just be such a pain in the butt to get in and out of the place. Was it long to go to the city? Uh, 25 minutes. That's fine. Like something organized by the, the organizers or? Yeah, actually, no, I just took a taxi and that was easy, even though it was on a Saturday. So it was uh, it was fine. Because you have this very famous thing. I think they call the Sheruts, which are like shared taxis up to 10 people, because I don't think there's any rail link. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any rail link to either yeah, Jerusalem, so. Haifa or Tel Aviv. And of course, taking a taxi to Tel Aviv is already a bit expensive, but it's fine. If you want to go to Jerusalem or even further, then it becomes super expensive. So yeah. they have these Sheruts, which are public taxis basically 10 people it's one of the most inexpensive ways to actually get to the airport or from the airport and also during shabbat i think it's the only way because i think now there's a train but the train is not running on shabbat or something like that and also doesn't run at night if you fly elal the app allows you to book or Sherut or one of the ride hailing services everything is integrated within elal app so it already knows your flight number at what time you land if you have delays so they already everything is seamless as soon as you go out you have the car waiting for you that's uh, something that a lot provides that's pretty cool because i remember my experience going to jerusalem was not the, the greatest we were talking again uh, a long time ago and uh two last things uh one ben Gurion is going to see an expansion uh, almost like a billion dollars expansion they will expand the current terminal you were at the departure hall and they will build a fifth uh, passenger concourse currently the airport has around what 23 million passengers it will go to 30 million within the next five years so they need to actually build that thing but what just opened is a new lounge which is an ultra luxury lounge i think it's more than 400 dollars to get in 
<laughs> but they have showers, you even have rooms. And one of the ideas that you could actually land there, never enter the country, get a meeting with someone local and leave. But yeah, it's expensive. On top of that, you could have a driver getting you to your aircraft. So it's really made for, you know, VIPs. And But anyone can actually just pay the price and enter it. Uh, I don't know if it's actually worth it, but you just said that the other lounges seem to be not that great. So if you have... Yeah. $400 to spend, you could actually think about that. It's the Fatal Private Terminal, something like that, I think it's called. Wow, and to well, there you go. And to finish up this episode, one article that you guys have to read because uh, it's absolutely fantastic. It's about the Queen of the Skies, a 747. It's the story of LL001, which was the first 747 and basically what opened the skies from the country to New York, Jewish city of the world, I would say. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, Jewish friends counter me if I say stuff that doesn't make sense. And we're talking the time, early 60s, at a time when Israel is not what it is today. It was more like an emerging country. So going from 707 to a 747 was this huge thing. And Elal went all the way. They even hired Sir Lawrence Olivier to read from the Bible in English. That was one of the audio channels you could get throughout the flight. Wow. <laughs> and the flight left at night. It arrived in the morning. And a lot of the Jewish community loved it because you didn't have to recite to prayers whilst you were flying because it was all throughout the night so you could actually properly sleep and then you didn't have to do any of the the daven i think it's called you even have stories of um people that usually fly first on you know the newer aircrafts that uh, elal has they still prefer to fly it because they say the upper deck there's some few seats that it feels even more private so i'd rather fly business on the upper deck of a 747 down on first in other aircrafts of elal and you have one businessman that is quoted in this article who says if i know that i have eaten something bad and i might have food poisoning i would ask my <laughs> i would ask my pa to book me on that flight on the upper deck because there's a best ratio of toilets there's like 20 seats and three toilets and i know that i can we actually talk about that last episode <laughs> yeah. That's Hilarious. Okay. <laughs> in, in 1991, and I'll finish the episode with that. In 1991, one of the 747s from El Al went to an operation called the Solomon Airlift. They went to pick up uh, Jews that were living in Ethiopia to bring them to Israel. And they had fitted 760 seats within a 747. That's you know how many people ended up being on this aircraft? It's the record. 1,088 passengers. Holy cow. Including two babies born during the flight back. Oh, wow. That will never be broken. Nope. Oh, well, many other stories, but uh, Alex has to go. As you understood, his uh, daughter is uh, feeling a bit unwell. I mean, chickenpox is something we all had to endure once in our lifetimes. She, she, she won't remember when she's your age. I sure hope so. <laughs> so when are you flying next? Sunday. Oh, where to? To Geneva with my family. And then are you driving to the south of France? Or? Yes. Ah, that's your usual... Pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. For me, I don't know. Depends on when we're going to record next. I have a few flights coming up. I'm going to Sofia. I'm going probably to Singapore. I'm going back to Amsterdam probably at some point. It all depends when we're going to record next, guys. In the meantime, safe travels. Good travels, guys. <laughs>